good day, good evening, good afternoon, good night, good morning, wherever you are listening to The Black Cauldron, episode number 14. Today is a very exciting day because we are starting our favorite book. Well, it's well, it's Deb and Janina's favorite book for sure. I don't know if it's I have Deb's a favorite book. Favorite book. Deb's oh, favorite book. Deb's favorite book is Still Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, Still Prisoner of Azkaban. There <laughs> is that. Okay. <laughs> I think I might have to say maybe The Goblet of Fire might be my favorite book. But, you know, I have to say, as I am reading these books, ladies, I keep thinking, my God, the magical world, I hate it here. I swear to God, like, (laughs) I really hate it here. You know, so I don't know if it's because of the political atmosphere that we are currently living through. And, you know, that we are taking such a closer look. I can no longer just fly by the fanciful adventure that is happening. But it's just like, you know, it's it's been, I'm just like, okay, all right. I, I, I don't need a wand. I don't need a wand at all. Nope. Not interested. <laughs> but before I go any further, let me introduce my co-hostesses with the mostesses. We are all excited for this book. We have Professor Deb. How are you doing, Deb? I'm doing great. Looking forward to our discussion. And I know, oh, Deb, you know, always feel free to share any of your um, experience at, you know, the Pottermore and the, and the Harry Potter um, conventions that you've gone to. I mean, that is an experience oh. you try to share with us all the time offline. And I'm just like, why don't you say this online? <laughs> because, <laughs> I, mean, I have a particular one for this book, so I definitely will. Okay, because we're basically discussing, I mean, I don't think y'all at the convention discussing, I don't know, politics outside of the world of Harry Potter. So feel free to, you know, chime in all the time, because I'm very curious to hear what other people, um, you know, other learned people, you know, particular people within your field and, you know, the publishing world, what they have to say, because this book, despite many issues that may be in it, it has definitely change children literature and change the public in industry on a whole forever oh, yeah. basically yeah. um no in the past we weren't giving people a million dollars advance we just weren't but we have in in subsequent of harry potter and we have from far in ohio we have janina now just so you know folks janina wanted us to do this podcast this whole black cauldron basically on book six and forget book one two three four and five <laughs> So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a lie, but you know, <laughs> I mean, I would have had a, I'd, I'd have had fun with that. I, I could talk about this book all day, every day. <laughs> I love this book. I yeah. love this book, and I have consumed the beginning of this book. I am not exaggerating. Probably. 10 times this week the first three chapters i just keep going back and back and back and it is good it it is as good as the first time i ever laid eyes on it oh wonderful wonderful and i mean this i would have to say you know this is definitely the book started off with a bang in many ways considering you know the, the, the going through that 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 i would say that top hit that was book five you know, that this book started off like, what? What? What is happening here? Like, just so much. You just feel like so much nugget of information was being thrown at you in every chapter within this book. I almost feel like there was nothing that felt wasted or like it wasn't important to some way, um, shape or form. And 
I think we our discussion of book two, we would see much of what we pointed out in terms of the book two being sort of like the key to the whole series. We would see much of that playing out itself within book six. So book two and book six are almost irrevocably um, linked to each other in many ways. So I'm introduce myself. This is Reels. I sort of tend to moderate um, the discussion. And so let's to this discussion. We have the first chapter basically. Is that we, oh, I should say we've decided that we're going to go chronological and not thematically with this book because everyone just, you know, enjoy it to pieces. And I don't want to leave anything out um, in any shape or form because Janina would kill me and should probably have us redo the whole podcast again after we finish. Being like, you forgot this key important part. So, <laughs> it's, so we're going to go through a detailed discussion. And also Janine is already having withdrawal syndrome. So we're hoping to stretch book six out as long as possible. <laughs> so we, it might be four episodes. It might be five episodes. So. It might be ten. It might be 10, and we would still, unfortunately, <laughs> since we all live in the United States of America, we'll be under some form of quarantine, COVID quarantine, so we do got the time. You got that <laughs> right. Unfortunate. Um, so book six starts off in a very unusual place. Um, we, we usually start off book six in some way in the muggle world, whether we're in Privet Drive or, as we see in book four, we started off in little, not little whinging, in the little hamlet, I forget, wherever um, Dumbledore, Voldemort, Hangleton, sorry, thank you. I didn't know that it was almost specific, they did mention it. We started off in little Hangleton, and, but in book five, we started out in, book six, sorry, starts out, we started out in London, and we started out in number 10 Downing Place, which is like, what? We're in the real world prime minister's office. And I just want to point out there's a tiny little hint of colonialism or like um, British attitude when he says something along the lines of he's expected a phone call from some president or prime minister from some way country. And I was like, hmm, interesting, sir. You're the prime minister of Britain. You're basically in the middle of the world. Nowhere is really far away from each other. Australia, perhaps? Is that what we're talking about? Because <laughs> I'm sure you're not talking about Australia, right? But um, he is there patiently, um, well, frantically somewhat agitated because a lot of things is going on in his world, right? Like he seemed to be blamed for incompetency by his, um, his opposition rival. And then he hears a little cough in the background. Is is the portrait in his office um, Nigellus? Um, I don't think we know who the portrait is. I don't think okay. we know who the portrait is. Okay. Because you kind of get the impression that it's it's a like an undersecretary who 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 does this first, and then um, then you get Fudge. Okay, I would like um, go the ahead. Prime Minister, the frog-like little man wearing a long silver wig who was depicted in a small, dirty oil painting to the Prime Minister of Muggles, urgent we meet, kindly respond immediately, sincerely, Fudge. But that's not a description of Fudge. So no, 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 no. no. Just... I meant that the portrait, if the, is the portrait of Nigella Splash? Yeah, I don't, <clears throat> I don't think so. The, the portrait so. is, is we, we don't know because we never learn who it is. We just okay. get a description of the portrait, but it, it didn't ring a bell to me that it was someone else that we've seen okay. before. I didn't oh, think okay. so. Oh, that's cool. 
So, you know, and we, we get this out of uh, the history of how this current prime minister has encountered, you know, fudge, basically this portrait trying to tell him one, wizard exists, and two, you know, drama is happening within the wizarding world. But at this point in time, he's just like, I have drama too, people. And then he realized his drama is basically the wizarding world's drama. <laughs> he's like, right. you people need to fix this mess and madness. And of course, the magical world, as it's one to do, we don't have a solution, people. They can do magic, we can do magic. So apparently that nullifies the whole situation. Is that what I mean? That whole scene was frustrating. For me, that is. Why? I loved that scene. I love I mean, it. it. I mean, theatrically, it was a um, wonderful scene, right? You know, the whole uh, thing, particularly when the prime minister says, a serious black, you know, joining up with he who must not be named. And Fudge is like black, black. And almost in my mind, I'm almost thinking, is he talking about this? It's Fudge. Fudge doesn't immediately register. He's talking about serious black. Um, but he's like, oh, no, we were wrong about Fudge. You know, we were, we were wrong about black. Oh, unfortunately. And it's like, and it, it to me, it, it encapsulates the, the ineptness of the magical community because they they're doing nothing i mean like just absolutely nothing is happening i mean let's forget the fact that in all of the book five they weren't doing nothing but attempting to suppress information but at this point in time there is clear evidence that voldemort is back there's no questions if i am about that situation and again they got nothing to do they're doing nothing there is just no real plan of action i mean fudge is hinting at the fact that you know, Dumbledore, he wanted Dumbledore to convince Harry to speak. And I'm like, the same Harry who you attempted to almost put in Azkaban last year. Is this the same person who you spent basically a whole year um, vilifying and, and doubting and claiming that he's he's mad and he's somehow connected to the dark arts? Like, why even have... You know, to me, it, it just, like, this is really... I mean, I can see why Dumbledore is basically, you know, saying, you know, like, to hell with all of you people. You know, like, I have to do this thing alone because you people are just absolutely incapable of doing anything correctly. And even in the smallest measure. I want to tell you. Okay. Okay, so this is this is a part of the reason why I love this part of the book so much. And it's not, it, yes, the story that's happening right here in itself, I, I love it. But this is what I think that J.K. Rowling does really well. There are all these little nuggets throughout that make us think, what if? And this is one of them. Um, you have the Prime Minister of England saying, you know, recount, retelling how they first met. And at the end of it, he's like, why didn't anybody tell me about this? Like, why? Why am I just now learning about this? And he laughs, Fudge laughs and says, well, who are you going to tell? And you're like, yeah, because if this really happened, who the hell are you going to tell? He would never repeat that in a million years. Never. And then when um, when he comes back, you know, a subsequent visit and he's like, that wasn't a hurricane. That was this. And it's really misty. Well, those were the Dementors breathing, breeding and all of these little things. And I think it's just done really well to keep it close enough to the world that we know to make you go, ooh. And 
I love that about it. Call me crazy. No, I don't really think that there are wizards among us, but you know, it's little things like that that just make you go, ah, and I love that. It's done so well in this piece right here, and I love it. And I think it also um, serves to um, answer any questions that people, you know, we've had discussions in the past, like, why didn't the muggles know this? Or why didn't the muggles respond to that? And you can see that, you know, because people see what they want to see and what they expect to see, you mm -hmm. know, he thinks he's seeing a hurricane or he thinks he's seeing mist when in actuality, the magical world is very much a part of their world. They right. just don't have the terminology for it, don't, aren't able to recognize it, and so think it's something else. So this is, I, that's another reason that I like that particular scene. And one other thing, reason why I know this is not Nigellus, because I think in book five, we find out where all of his portraits are. And not one of them was in the prime. Oh, you're yeah, right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah you're right. That, there's happen. one in the ministry in the Ministry of Magic. The ministry, there's one exactly. in Grimmauld Place, and there's one in the prime head and ministry. One yeah. Yeah. So that was the other thing that popped in my head that that why I knew it wasn't um, not jealous. But I think that that's really that that exchange between those two men, and I loved it when he says something. Well, you know, he, when he says. Um, um, Fudge, you've got to do something. It's your responsibility as Ministry of Magic. And he's like, you don't really think I'm a still minister. <laughs> yeah, you know, right? I was sacked three days ago. Uh, yeah, and that's they, great. I, <laughs> like, I, I, I'm just sending you to get, bring you up to speed, but that, I mean, I've just been given a task, but I don't have any authority and responsive and authority anymore. <laughs> and Scrim George shows up, and he's so arrogant, so arrogant, yeah. right? Yeah. And he's like locking it's the door and closing. Can I? Just oh yeah, he is. Is that can I just, because I just find this whole magically locking something an absurd use of power. Of course it is. Because it, that's it is. the arrogance. Because to me, it's like yeah. not not even him. Just like in any situation, right? Because we see this being used to some effect in the Ministry of Magic, right? We see right. when they attempt to seal the door magically, but they can open the door other way, right? There is a um, and to me, it's just like that's just just put something there to block the door, basically. <laughs> I mean, as opposed to like locking it with a key, like someone. That's your Muggle open. mind working. No, because it, because it's because <laughs> I mean, for example, you remember when they have um, I don't know if it's in the movie or whatever the case may be, but you can almost open any door. There there are other ways in which you can do it because Snape speaks of magically sealing a door, and he says none other but a wizard can open it. I'm just like, boo! Who else would open it then? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but we know it was Dobby who went in there. It's one of those things that's just like really crazy like it's an absurd use of magic when it's not really offering any real protection because someone else can break in there anyhow but just think but i didn't i, did, I didn't read his i didn't read scrimger's behavior as much more of sort of like arrogance as opposed to he was attempting to sort of like i got the impression that he was coming off as being i'm a very busy man you know, I don't really have time to do to talk to you, but apparently I must talk to you. And this whole exercise is well, I guess it's arrogance because to me it's like it's beneath <laughs> I, him. You're saying this, and I'm like, well, what is that? Right. I mean, <laughs> but I didn't. 
I, I, I never read it to explicitly like arrogant, arrogant. Like to me, I just thought for him, he was just like, I really, because in, in essence, there are really better things for him to be doing, right? I mean, I'm not mad about him feeling this way, but I'm just like, it is absurd. And, and, I don't, and again, I, I don't know if it's because we are living in this crazy time, why this whole scene renewed makes me so angry because the, there is a problem that's going on in the magical world and it's affecting the real world. And honestly, if this war, if this, if this had really happened in real life, I know the Mughal prime ministers would have captured Kingsley, taken away his wand and studied him because isn't no way I'm telling you, there is no way first world nation is allowing, is going to be thinking about some kind of new power source that has some kind of capability of power that can, because in essence, what, what is being transmitted to the other prime, to, well, they see each other as the other minister, right? <laughs> he sees Fudge as the other minister. Is that what is being transmitted to the regular prime minister is that there is a force at play here that is not just confined within this secret magical society. It is affecting your world. Bridge disappeared. A literal bridge just disappeared. A hurricane. A hurricane is a tropical phenomenon, people. It happened in England, and that is absurd. And but well, it's not a hurricane really. It happened. Um, it's actually giants that has been their, their memory has been modified to think it's a hurricane. And to me, this is what the magical world is doing: spending time putting out disinformation instead of actually addressing. I don't know how you're gonna miss a giant. A giant coming to play somewhere in England. How did you miss that? Like, I am confused. When in the past, most of the giants have been exterminated, um, eliminated because of Oros. And now, giants are running amok in England and did, nothing can be done about it. That, to me, was really... That was the... To me, I felt like this, this is so frustrating. Like, oh my God, you all are really putting all of this burden on this child. It has to be Harry. That's why it got me mad. No, I mean, look, I think, you know, because the, and that goes back to my whole thing is, is that people see what they want to see and they totally block out what they don't, unless it's like totally in their face. So they come up with an explanation for things that make no sense. Like you said, what would you be doing with a hurricane in England or, you know, something like that? You could have a bad storm, but, you know, seriously, but they have, they, oh yeah, we grab hold of this explanation, even though that explanation makes no sense. We just but, need something to. But, the, um, but I thought the Ministry of Magic was actually obliterating people's memories and putting the idea of being a hurricane in there. That's the impression I got. That but I'm saying, people... you know, it, but when if you you can't obliterate everybody's memory, so if somebody tells that story to someone who hasn't had their memory modified, they would, they're not even thinking that makes no sense. They're like, Oh yeah, that must be what it was. <laughs> oh, right. So because they're so anxious to, to grab any explanation. Oh, I see what you're they, saying. Yeah. <laughs> so so, that so even the modified like, memory person comes up to me and say, Oh my God, I, I just witnessed a hurricane. And we're going to be like, what? Right. <laughs> like I should be like, you're like there's you you would think that's not possible, but because you, what these all of these people, both the magical and the non-magical world, are so anxious to have any explanation that they grasp at ones that make no sense. 
So and that's what I mean. That's what I was saying by people seeing and hearing what they want to see and hear. Well, and you know what? We do that every day. We do it yeah. every day in our everyday lives. And I, not to get way off topic, but I think a simple explanation um, that can make it make sense of how we do it is, you know, little children tell us that they see dead people because they don't know they're not supposed to see them. Right. Adults don't want to believe that that can happen, that ghosts might be real or something of that nature but little kids speak of it all the time and they don't have any idea that they're not supposed to see it and as they grow up and then they hear all the lore or you know it becomes something bad to them or weird or scary then they stop having these experiences we see that all the time i mean so i don't think that's just that's another piece of the whole thing that makes this entire situation relate to something that we already know you see things right. out of the corner of your eye all the time you turn your head and nothing's there and you just let it go and he's in the in the muggle minister says that he does this you know he says he he thought he saw the painting move and mm -hmm. he's just trained himself to ignore it not not look at it at all right Which, i mean i mean but this is the thing that i find fascinating that with that sort of information he was never curious to ask any any information beyond what was given to him. Who is he, he going to ask? But, you know, fudge. I mean, like, clearly he can talk to the portraits. I mean, that's crazy that sounds to get information, right? Like he can command that them that because there seemed to be. I mean, I don't know. I mean, to me, if, well, if, if, we don't know. That's interesting that you say that because we don't know that if the muggle minister says to the portrait, I need to talk to fudge, that anybody's coming. It seems to work the other way, right? Well, well, even if that is the case, but I mean, I'm not expecting him to talk about like the budget in England, right? <laughs> like, I'm not. A, but I mean, like, okay, at one point you tell me three dragons are coming into the and a sphinx. Um, and a sphinx, yes, and yeah, a sphinx. <laughs> you don't, you don't just get to drop that information and move on because at this point, I am assuming that the the, the Muggle minister can no longer ignore the fact that muggle that the magic is actually real right that magic is but real. what is he gonna do but i mean um, other than accept well, that information is he gonna say no he's not gonna say no well i mean he's he not can... he's still very much afraid that's obvious well even though he's become more comfortable with the interactions, he's still scared and he still doesn't quite get it i mean at the very end you know he, he says basically what the hell is wrong with you people you're wizards you can do magic fix it he well, doesn't get well, it well this is i think this goes in part to the sort of the, the 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 information the thing that would come up later on in book seven and it is and i think we've spoken about this from book two onwards like how the pervasiveness of how the whole mud blood magic people sort of attitude is amongst the magical community because the arrogance that we're speaking about here from Scrimjaw and to a certain extent how Fudge relays information to the mouth is obviously these wizards and witches think that humans, muggles, are beneath them completely. That you will never understand what is happening here. We're just saying, I'm just saying this to you because you're forced to say this. Because someone tells me that three dragons are coming into any place or anyway. Um, beyond the fact that I wouldn't question that dragons do exist. We're going to have the discussion. Like, I need to understand how security works because clearly a dragon 
I mean, Wizard can Wizard can barely control dragons. I mean, we have seen that even from right. the professional dragon dragon ears, I guess I'm gonna call them <laughs> dragon handlers. <laughs> that you know handlers. This sort of yeah. information, particularly when the information was forget the well, we don't even need to this like let's just say, okay, he doesn't believe in dragon. But there was a point when Fudge said, you know, like, oh, there was a little bit of dust up in the, at the World Cup and muggles were involved. Muggles were hurt. And again, that was a point of like some sort of discussion should have been happening. Um, one of his junior ministers is going to be moved out of the real world into the magical world. And again, it's almost like if we're just telling you this information. Do you, you, this is not for discussion. This is not for debate. And we're not even giving you particularly rich details about any of this situation. Well, of, of course, because they're arrogant. Again, it comes back to the arrogance. I mean, they've put Shacklebolt in the office to work. And, you know, and the he's minister. Black, by the way, people. <laughs> and the minister says, you know, oh, you're not taking him away. He does twice the amount of work. And then they go, well, that's because he's a wizard. And then he's pissed. Well, you can't just put your people in my. I decide who works for me. But you just said you liked him. Oh, yeah, well, I do. You know, like, I mean, clearly the wizarding world does whatever the hell they want when it comes to the muggle people. And you just got to deal with it. I mean, really, what is he going to do? What is the prime minister of the muggles going to do? Is he going to go on TV and say that this portrait talks to me, announces that the minister of magic wants to come and have a conversation and has explained to me that we did not indeed have a hurricane. It was giants. What, what would that look like? Well, there's nothing I mean, he can do. He has zero recourse other than to take the information and move on. There's nothing well, let me tell you, you can something. do. If this was set in America, I assure you, they would have been rounding people up. Like, well, you're no probably right, but you have to stop projecting, and we just have to go on the information that we have. Of no, I, I mean it's not necessarily a matter of projecting, but this is just how because because wizarding wizarding world is sort of expressing the reason why the wizarding world sort of went into hiding was a fear of the Muggle community, right? That thinking that muggles are somehow not understanding of their world, whatever the case may be. There is some reference even to the Salem witch trial. And they're saying that particularly what, what eventually, what in essence really happened was that um, I think this is about the only time there has been any real reckoning with the historical past, with the real historical past in the real world, with the magical historical past. And they said, you know, like, they never caught real witches. They basically have been catching <laughs> regular people and been killing these people. So just right. the, this is what I'm saying that in, in terms of the fair pattern would have existed because the muggle, um, because every one of the incident that fudge, in particular this, I don't know what happened in previous administration, but with this administration that's happening here, you see this sort of, uh, the magical world is getting closer and closer to the muggle world right mm -hmm. emmeline vance and um amelia bones were killed down the street uh there's a dragon i mean the dragon seen far off then kingsley shacklebolt is literally in your office <laughs> like he is in your office now and you can't so this is what i'm saying that fair fair factor would have dictated that some sort of action happened even if he had to do it surreptitiously or, or going about this subterfuge in a around the way manner Right, that he had to basically get at what happened, at the very least, get get more information. That I just thought that was out of an odd, but it's not really a big part of the plot. But I think underlying that, what J.K. Rowling is 
point trying to point out that whereas in book five, when Voldemort returned, we didn't have any real action happening. What she's implying now is that with Voldemort being arrived on the scene now, like everyone knows, he's going about his ways, his deadly ways. And he's killing and smiting people and none of his Death Eaters has been, even though some of his Death Eaters has been rounded up and in Azkaban, like a fresh new lot is running about doing just, being just as deadly and, and, and vicious. So at least that's what I thought chapter one was and remember, about. when he says you, you can do magic, you can fix it, he said the other side can do magic too. And we know that the other side is more, um, more efficient and more deadly in dark magic, mm-hmm. you know, with the exception of a few aurors like Shink, um, Shacklebolt and Mad Eye. I mean, it, and you know, I don't think that they have the same force of folks. I mean, they're they're used to going. We talked about this a little bit last time. They're going to catch dark wizards. The dark wizards are using dark dark magic to create havoc. So that's a they're they're working from different power bases so to speak. So this other side who has magic is using dark magic and has no qualms about how they use it and who they use it on. You know, I have a theory about that, but I, we, we will get into that in the after podcast series. Um, when I say after podcast series, when we've dealt with the book, with this, we will probably, Janina would force us into having a discussion about various themes and elements within the books. And I don't know why you're things- acting like you're going to have to, you know, be... I'm going to have to bend your arm behind your back and like right? whip you into doing it. That's not the point, Janina. That is not the point. <laughs> but I think one of the interesting, one of the things that it's this idea of like, quote unquote, dark magic, right? Because it is, I mean, is the, what exactly incorporates that magic? Is, is it, it's the effect of it or the, um, as we would see, or the, the manner in which you sort of like work within the magic they get into what your means of getting of affecting the magical element for example like a horcrux that seems to be dark magic because the way Mm -hmm. in which you have to do to get it but if you're using like a dark spell to like cut somebody open is that dark magic you know what i'm saying or is it dark magic because of the effect of it you know like it cannot be this is not a simple it's a close wound, as we would see um, later on. But all in all, for theatric effect, I think book chapter one was really fascinating, but it was frustrating. But I know we all love book chapter two, Spinners End. It is just absolutely crispy, delicious. It's like oh my baby gosh. back ribs. It's like fat back. It's like, I mean, pork loin. I mean, it's just... <laughs> It is just absolutely, it's bacon on, you know, like, it is just sizzling. It is hot. It is just. There is. For for me, I think it's because we see two, three, actually, three characters that um, we've seen in other settings that we see them in a totally different light, so to speak. Light and and place. And place, (laughs) yeah. Well, because they're in a different place, we see them in a different light. And because they're, especially um, um, Narcissa, we see them, you know, coming with a different set of needs and from a different place um, than we've seen them before. So I think that's one of the reasons that appealed to me was because it was kind of unexpected to see and to, you know, because mostly when we 
the characters that we see are quote unquote the good guys, right? Mm -hmm. We most the people that we see behind the scenes, we see the Weasleys, we see, you know, um Harry, we see other folks behind the scenes. We never really see much about the 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 um the Dark Lord's followers. So this this I thought was very interesting to to witness as they interacted with each other. And it's one of the few times where I've uh privy to this kind of information directly as it supposedly right. corresponded as it's um happening somewhat and uh and, and we see from the from the very beginning it's um we're in this very desolate dirty dingy place bellatrix makes the observation just like girl you're showing the right place like who lives here <laughs> like <laughs> we live here like how is this possible and there is that question happening again um, obviously from the same set of family, it's that wizarding poverty is an unusual thing. Like, why are you poor? Why are you choosing to exist within this, in this, in this manner? Like, this is beneath us. This is, there's this muggle magical um, dichotomy happening here. Just like, this is muggleness. Okay? This is, and mm -hmm. it, I get the impression this is Dong River, and as they're describing this other scene, if you read any 19th century uh, British novel, or even American novel to a certain extent, in the full swing of environment and full swing of industrial revolution, you would see scenes like this all the time of like dirt, of like you know and, um, debris flowing down in this dirty, dingy place, oil, small huts and homes where just like poverty, just like it's like poverty hangs in the air. Even the animals are, are foraging for food, starving because. He's, he's not looking for regular food. The fox is looking for empty fish and chip wrapper. <laughs> and so <laughs> meals are in small and very, very meager portion in this environment because even it has affected the, the flora and the fauna, basically, in this environment. And Bellatrix wastes no time. And it just goes to your point, Debbie, you were mentioning it, how did the other side is just like, Bellatrix just killed this fox. Like, bloop, we don't give a shit. I thought it was an aura. Oops, whatever. <clears throat> Might make a good handbag for somebody. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> and but I, I don't know if I, I, I think I didn't pose this question um, in our outline, but a question I think we sort of have to keep it back in our mind within this whole chapter is: Are we supposed to feel some level of sympathy for Narcissa Malfoy because of her yeah. plight and her issues? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I'm we sorry. Are. We are. I have zero. I, mean, I have I mean, zero. Well, I don't. I do. I don't have any sympathy for her. But we are supposed to. We are supposed to see her that, despite you know um, their connection to the Dark Lord, despite their connection to this whole pure blood um, madness, that she's still, after all, a mother concerned about her son. Yep. I think that's, that's what it's supposed to convey, for sure. That's what it's supposed to convey. And that no matter how, even though she's she's in a whole nother thing, begging for his, you know, to, someone to take care of him and watch over him to make sure he doesn't get caught up in the madness, um, we were supposed to feel some measure of of sympathy for any mother who has a son caught up in the madness, um, even though she she and her husband have brought him into this madness. He didn't, you know, he wants to be there now. But they, and well, to a degree, we'll find out later. But she, but we're supposed to feel sorry for her. Oh, mm -hmm. oh, 
this is the kind of this is the kind of nonsense where we see it's out of this place we see um justice for petunia you know like she got wrong because she couldn't get into hogwarts and you know like oh how harry was you know like the abuse was inadvertently i saw i think i shared with you ladies this crazy mm-hmm. theory that the inadvertent abuse that the abuse harry suffered at the hands of the dursleys was inadvertent because he is in fact a whole crook listen to me I, if I could jump through Twitter and just kick everybody who said yes to this nonsense, I'm believing I That's would have. Because this is crazy. Because to me, here, here's my problem. I think you need to. I think you need to tell everybody what you're talking about. Well, I saw a tweet on Twitter where I, I said it, you know, where someone where people are putting forward the idea that the, the abuse Harry suffered for God knows what since a year and a half at the Dursleys is because he being a whole crux. Um, which we will get into. I mean, I think I don't think anyone who listened to this podcast has never read the books and series, but you know, right? But that I mean, as that, far as the tweet, talk about the tweet that you and saw. and that the 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 Dursleys were reacting to evil thoughts manifested by the Horcrux being in their midst of within them. In the I'm same like, sense that how Harry and Ron and Hermione were angry and mean to each other when they wore the locket, right? Um, I'm just simply saying, I don't know why this, how do I even grab a hold on anyone? Because the whole crux never tried to kill the Dursleys. Because I'm surprised Harry hasn't tried to murder them in their sleep at one point in time. If that were the effect. And I think the whole crux were re- was reacting to basically feelings that these people had. And in fact, the, 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 the whole crux was really mostly affecting Ron, mostly than Harry and Hermione. It's because he, as we've seen throughout the series, he has been harboring doubts about the whole situation and always suspicious. And the whole crux just mainly amplified those exactly. sort of feelings that he had. Because there are many instances where he's constantly um, digging at Harry and Hermione. And it's, it's, very, it's very interesting because I always, I was just like, Harry and Hermione, like, I just thought that they were two only children responding to a world that is kind of like, isolated them so often that they grew up in some way in the very you know that they sort of like needed each other and understood each other in different ways he was the bonehead but we will get into that um I, you know ron is as subtle as a um he's as smart as a teaspoon but you know <laughs> we won't get into that but as i was saying this whole environment of spinners and sort of leads us to believe you know this was if this is where snape grew up that this was often he was in um problematic area and as you oh, are we late- to think this was his childhood home is that his home well yes actually it's, it's his home but i mean how do we know that because it's he wouldn't why would he go build that house i think there was some kind <laughs> of implication I just I never caught that. I mean, if if there was if that was hinted somewhere in the book, I never I never thought that that was Snape's childhood home. I never thought that. I never because considered I know, it one way or the other. Because I know for a fact his father is in fact the Muggle, and mm-hmm. that's why I let you believe. I, I'm almost sure there was some sort of indication. And remind me, Janina, about Snape because I have something, some direct proof about. Well, I think I can mention it. The fact that we were talking about, just so I don't forget, the Marauders map. No, you're map. jumping ahead. No, 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 no. Remember we talked, we had a huge discussion about the Marauders map. The Marauders map show you that you're moving. There is a reference within this book that the Marauders map shows Snape is sitting. 
so you don't have to move to be on the map. But anyway, um, so we get this whole scene where Bellatrix confronts Snape, and she is, and and well, before we even get to the confrontation, what we understood in this whole scene is that there is a jockeying for position for Lord Voldemort's highest favor between between the Death Eaters. And this is this is a constant politics that is happening always. I think Voldemort even mentioned this at the graveyard, right? <laughs> like my most faithful servants, these mm-hmm. are the people are here. That people are constantly jockeying for this of this position. And and Wormtail, who gave his right hand <laughs> for the Dark Lord service, he's basically playing, I don't even want to say maid. To a house elf, forgive me for using well, he's that term. Tr- he's trying not to. He's trying. He's trying to to stand up for himself, but he has. He makes no headway. Mm-hmm. You know. He says, "I'm not. You know, I'm not your servant." And he he's like, "Well, I thought the Dark Lord put you here to assist me to do what I tell you to do, because basically, the Dark Lord's through with Wormtail." But the I, most interesting been... part about that for me was. He Snape tells Narcissa and Bellatrix that he's taken to listening at doors. And that made me wonder if, in fact, maybe the Dark Lord does not trust Snape as much as Snape thinks, right? And Wormtail's new purpose to serve is basically, tell me what Snape's up to. Tell me if something's happening that he's not sharing i mean because we know by the end we don't we don't really know yet but we know by the end and you know having gone back through the books that um because actually right here in this part of the book snape talks about when he's answering all of bellatrix's questions that voldemort is the most accomplished occlumens ever well, we know that that's BS. We know by the end that it's Snape because he was able, he was able to hoodwink, right? But so well, that well, makes me wonder. Mm-hmm. So that makes me wonder if Voldemort had suspicions of that. And that's why Wormtail is there, even though it never comes of anything in but, this moment. Know, but at the same token, Wormtail is no match for Snape, and surely if if he thinks <laughs> yeah. no, but if he's listening at doors, he's trying to yeah. spy. That's what I'm saying. He's trying to spy. Well, that's Wormtail nature Snape anyway, right? Immediately, mm-hmm. Snape knows that immediately, and you know he's not going to say anything or do anything, and he quickly can just you know with a flick of his wand expose Wormtail, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively. So you know. But Wormtail has to do something because, like I said, Voldemort's through with Wormtail. Right. I just remember when I... I remember when I read this first, you know, knowing now, we we know that that's not the case. But on a first read, I remember thinking, hmm, is he trying to, you know, set him up to, to spy on Snape now? I think we know after you know having read the entire series and know how everything plays out that that's that's not the case because there's no indication that it is but i remember wondering about that when i first read this i mm. saw that as being that voldemort had disposed basically of Wormtail because in Vol- not having anything else to do with him 
Well, he like, was he not have knowing no what to use. do with him. Mm-hmm. Well, but, I mean, like, he couldn't because remember he mentioned Wormtail had an ill-advised body to be anyway. He couldn't use Voldemort. He couldn't use Wormtail's body as he did Quirrell. Um, the other um, point is that um, he had served his purpose, and Wormtail being Wormtail, he had Voldemort had pointed out that Wormtail was never a match for any of his friends. That he mm-hmm. basically was just mm-hmm. at the lowest round, and like, you know, he's gonna always, you know, try to weasel out of anything. And we saw how skilled he is, you know, trying to be like, I can negotiate as much best as I can, and trying to get as much as he can, you know. But at this point, what can you do with Worm till you can't send him back out into the magical community because he was supposed to be dead. Right. So he's up, he he can't. You can't have him necessarily. He can't do any kind of great big service for the Dark Lord in in any way. He can't move about like Yaxley and amongst them. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think he, all he of can't. that is correct. I just i I wasn't there, you know, in the beginning when I was first reading this. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Like you, I, in the beginning, you just don't you don't really know what the purpose of that is. But, now we do. But for me, it was, um, and I, and for me, I, for him listening at the door, I think he was probably trying to do what Bellatrix, what, what Snape was, that Wormtail knew that there were whispers about Snape in the background. Mm-hmm. What Wormtail was trying to do is get any sort of information because he too is jockeying for a place because Wormtail believed that he was his master's greatest servant, right? And... Long right. Voldemort had put a squash in that Clearly, thing. Voldemort is very good at making people feel important. Well, he's very good. No, I think he's very good at making people feel um, not uncertain and not sure right. as to who is the most important um, person in his sphere and keeping them fighting amongst each other um, so that nobody ever really feels totally secure. Secure. In their position as one of his lieutenants. And I think that's what he is especially good at. Um, But making them all want to be his right-hand man. Um, But nobody really feels that they totally have it. And so they're constantly watching each other for some sign that they can... You know, Bellatrix would love nothing better than to be the one. I've exposed several. Oh, he's for not sure. True. And Wormtail would love to be the one to expose. All of and them would love to be the yeah. one, you know, so so that they would because they and the reason they want to be the one is because they think that would be the thing that would put them on surer footing with Voldemort. They would not be looking over their shoulder. They would be certain that they were his his most trusted servant. So that's what he's especially good at, keeping them all off kilter, to me. Because, because that's what they all mention in some particular fashion, right? We saw this mm-hmm. with Barty Crouch, right? I am my Dark Lord's um, most trusted servant. Well, I Bellatrix. feel like he's telling them this. Because I, that's, I think he probably, at whatever moment, whoever is serving him the most for whatever he wants at that moment. 
I, I would imagine that he's telling them, you are my most faithful, you are my most trusted, so that they can go back and say, it's me, it's me, it's me. But then as soon as somebody else comes around who can serve him in his needs of that moment, that conversation changes. And that would in turn create um, some discourse between the Death Eaters. And I think that Bellatrix in this scene says because you know severus questions her and oh well she says i'm his most trusted and he says well are you still and you know after that debacle he questions her then and then there's another moment when she starts to say he tells me everything and then she you know hesitates and it was well he used to well lately not so much and then you know it it doesn't matter i'm asking you so clearly she's establishing that it seems like voldemort used to confide in her or at least she thought he was a great deal in more than anybody else but right now in this moment he's been a little bit dismissive of her to me this is um similar i think there was a psychological study done um about parents and children about how children, how parents would swear up and down, I don't have a favorite. But the perception isn't so much so what the parents are doing. The issue isn't what the parents are doing. They can equally share everything amongst their children. But the issue here is what the children perceive is favoritism that's happening. And I think this is what's happening here is that I don't think Voldemort necessarily, maybe he is, maybe he, but to me, I don't think he necessarily has to say anything explicitly. I think how he moves, they feel, oh my God, this is most precious, right? Mm -hmm. Because we find out, you know, he gave Lucius a, a, the, 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 the diary. Lucius think, oh my God, I have a piece of the master. Something he gives to me personally. I feel I'm special. We would see the same attitude with Bellatrix. And then right in the scene, when Narcissa speaks of the plan, Bellatrix is surprised. He told, wait, 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 wait a minute. You know about the plan? Right. So she was holding on to this information like, the plan, we know the plan, right? right. And Voldemort didn't right. tell anybody else. And then, and even in book seven, we would see this again when I think Voldemort tells Snape to sit next to me. And that is a cause for concern for everybody at the table because they want that sort of, because there is no, it's basically the CEO position of evil is, is not going to be filled anytime soon, Okay. Like it's not okay to see you because I think this is the space that that Lucius sort of operated when Voldemort was missing and Bellatrix and the others were in the uh, Azkaban. But now Voldemort is here, so it isn't who who gets to be head evil that much is clear. The position that's up for grabs is who gets to be second in command, and Lucius lost that place. And then you would see later on, he even lose, he's even lose face even furthermore. And Bellatrix becomes in the drama and why she was adamant about behaving in certain ways. So I think it's, it, it's a squabble that's amongst them. <laughs> Voldemort doesn't care about this kid because as you can see, as soon as they're dead, he doesn't, he moans none of these people. He moves on. <laughs> he gives the responsibility to somebody else. Okay, this is all, I think this is all within their imagination that they figure that they're going to be much more special to Voldemort than anybody else, because there's nothing else for them to do, really. Um, mm. so. I can see you know, that. I feel like Voldemort plays into it. 
also yeah. for sure that because he gets I, them to do things for him that he doesn't want to do and even the whole thing with when he when they start talking about the plan and um narcissa is convinced that it's that he doesn't want draco to succeed he wants to use this as a way to punish lucius and um you know, and I wondered about that. Is it is it really? I mean, I would think that he, but he was. It's a win win either way, because if if Draco is successful, he then Voldemort has what he wants. He has his plan is carried out, and if he's not successful, he once again has proven and shown to his his followers. You know, if you if you ever cross me, or if you ever are unsuccessful. When I give you something to do, this could be your fate also. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's going to say, I mean, I guess we sort of like, because here is the scenario. I took, I think Narcissa understood. To me, I took what Narcissa was saying to be the truth. Because one, Voldemort, you couldn't even handle Dumbledore last week. So I don't right. know what you were saying. Do you think Draco can? <laughs> Draco can. You know what I mean? Right. And she says right. Draco is an underqualified wizard, right? So that means right. there's a host of spell that he can't necessarily be able to necessarily articulate if the plan is to be pulled off outside of school, per se. And to me, what was even um, that? Because we know how Voldemort plays as um, Gollum says in Lord of the Rings, very tricksy, very tricksy with words. Because you know he tells he, t- he tells um what's his face Wormtail oh I have a service for you Wormtail that any one of my followers will give his right hand for and it's literally that right that, that, yes. like Voldemort Voldemort is very very good at this subterfuge that they know because they have been in his service for as long as anybody else I imagine and they just know how this man is because they failed him because. One, I mean, like, he didn't get the prophecy. He can't get the information at all from it, right? Right. There is no other way of getting this information because the presumption is that Harry wouldn't have known the prophecy. Um, So he isn't going to get the information out of Dumbledore because he would have assumed that Dumbledore would have done something to get rid of him because the same thing happened with the Sorcerer's Stone. He said this in book four. Dumbledore would have found some way to get rid of that. And they went to the ministry, a bunch of teenagers knocked them out, um, disrupt the whole plan. A bunch of them got caught. He couldn't kill Dumbledore. And I mean, like, every one of his spell was attempt to kill Dumbledore, right? And the last, the last ditch effort was to basically get Dumbledore to kill Harry and discredit right. Dumbledore in one fell swoop. And that was a painful experience. So he is at a, and he is still, as we would find out, the graveyard is still in his mind because he doesn't know how this happened. And I think that much is sort of, um, I think it comes up later on in book seven, but that I think that the graveyard scene is somewhat because Harry magic happened here for Voldemort that he did not expect and he couldn't even overcome. And he, if anything else, if you want to talk about arrogance, he is most arrogant, right? He thinks he alone would have overcome because because every single barrier that he has attempted to overcome for Harry Potter, right? The blood business, you know, like well, the killing him in the first place, the blood business, the love situation happened. I got him in a graveyard surrounded by my dead eaters again because this is why he sells the Bellatrix. 
you know, my Death Eaters, months of preparation, and my Death Eaters has allowed Harry Potter to twat again. <laughs> this is this man isn't playing with these people, and as we would see in several scenes, he doesn't care about them. He literally will kill them too. Like he yeah. spares no, he spares no, he doesn't have, he has zero tolerance for nonsense with any of these people. And they live in constant fear. I have no sympathy for any of these people because to me, right. this is what you signed up for. And you, you, you are signed up for a man who is going about to kill children. His, one of his biggest acts was to kill a month and a half, a year and a half old baby. I mean, that ain't there's no kind of political movement you can justify to say that is okay, <laughs> you know. So, and you sign yet, up and, and yet we are living through it. People throw <laughs> babies in cages, and you got people coming to rallies and stuff. So, you know, I think it's it shows the dark side of human nature, but not the, the totally unfamiliar side of human nature. Unfortunately, this is why I said I hate the magical world. I don't want to be there either. <laughs> I hate it there. <laughs> but I think that's one of the reasons why. I mean, you know, um, Bellatrix is definitely of the mindset that she wants Narcissa to just be quiet and just go along with this, even though um, it has everything about it looks like this is designed for this is set up for Draco to fail. And she knows and she just, Yeah, and she just wants her to be quiet and to go along with it. And, you know, so, um, but, you know, Narcissa, who we're, as we said before, we're supposed to think of her right here as just another woman with, who is worried about her son is not going to be deterred until she gets some degree of um, um, assurance. assurance, assurance from snake that her son is going to be protected well and also this is a this is another bit of foreshadowing right because it is right. going to be narcissa in the end who ultimately saves harry mm. right yeah it is and it is the plea it is the plea of her as a mother that allows that to happen. Mm -mm. She exactly. knows that Harry, she knows that Harry is lying there and he is not dead. And she wants to know, is Draco okay? And Harry says yes. And she turns around and tells the Death Eaters and Voldemort that Harry's dead. So this right. is important in that fact, but we don't yeah. have to go there yet. But I think um, it's but it's I have also, zero sympathy for Narcissus. I don't care what you do. You don't have to have sympathy for her. It's just the <laughs> right. setup. It's it I is know, a piece of, you know, the whole setup. So it is important in that way. But listen, I I want I you know what I really want to do, and I know we're not gonna do it, and I don't think that we should do it, but what I really want to do is dissect three actors to, to perform this whole scene. <laughs> I want to dissect that conversation line by line. Oh, we can. Line. We can. We can. <laughs> can we? Because I we love can. that so because, much. Because this is, this is the thing that I thought was interesting. Because we have seen Snape's shady behavior before, right? But he's always right. been directed at a child, right? He dare not right. come at Dumbledore in this manner. I mean, like, he isn't going to go to McGonagall in this manner yet. But here, right. Snape is in his full element. This is what we're going to see. This is the Snape that we know was contending with Sirius and James Potter. Like we, and, and they were formidable characters as well. 
And this is the snake that we know had to contend with a spitfire that is Lily. So, I mean, here we want to see Snape's full remonstration. And these were questions that Bellatrix were asking. These were questions that we had ourselves because no matter what, we were, we probably were suspicious. We had to have been suspicious about Snape because of just Harry. Because we've been, we've been led to believe that most of Harry's instincts have been correct and that we should trust Harry. And I know, you know, and, and we know Harry just blames Snape for everything, right? He just hates Snape tremendously. And so Bellatrix is really putting forward the issues at the table because this, these were not supposed to be the people that we expected to see, right? When we had followed Bellatrix and Narcissa down Spinner's End to be at Snape's house, Snape was not the person we expected to find in the house. <laughs> so, because we know who these two women are, and we know there is nothing good side about these ladies. But Snape is a teacher at Hogwarts. So, Bellatrix put out, Bellatrix let Snape know, these are the issues that I have with you, Snape. I don't like you, never liked you. <laughs> and she there uttered the words, you know, and she's basically, you know, and, and you know, before she got into the house, she was just like, you're nothing. I think you come from nothing because he's half blood. Yeah. And so she, there is, there, there is a class issue boiling up already within this whole thing. And then he, of all people who seems to be closest to getting the Dark Lord's favor, Bellatrix isn't about having any of this shit. And what I thought was familiar, funny was that here she was talking, just killed her cousin, and she's just like, nah, sister, sister. I was like, girl, you don't get to invoke familial um, right. issue right. within this context here. It can't be you. But I would see that, you, I guess, in some extent, we can say, you know, like, she had written up Andromeda and basically the, sister, the only sister she acknowledges is these two. And again, there are no parents. There are no parents within these people. For these people. So let's get into... I think by the time we're finished with this podcast episode, we will probably just get to, um, we'll, we'll still be at Perfect Drive. We'll be at Perfect Drive, I'm sure. We'll be, Harry and Dumbledore would not have left. I'm yes. sorry? Harry and, Dumbledore, right. Harry and Dumbledore would not have left for the teacher search. But let's get into the Bellatrix and um, mm. Snape thing. And I have to say, as a literature person, this is almost this kind of Shakespearean um, Schiller um, confrontation scene. This, if this were theatrical, this is one of those scenes, uh, even operatic. This is one yeah. of those scenes that is almost like this is gonna make a, make or break the performance of that evening. If this is done wrong, the whole show, no matter whatever people do at the beginning or at the end, this is a pivotal scene, and yeah. it's one of those things where. I don't think we ever questioned Snape ever after that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think this is the best written chapter of the entire series. <laughs> I love it. You I love might, everything about it. I don't think you find much wrong with that. Dialogue. It's almost all dialogue. It's the dialogue. It's dialogue. And you know what? I You can almost see it staged. Reels, you're perfectly right about it's almost operatic and it's and it kind of the epic nature of the conversation and the wordplay and the back and forth um, where the where there are between each other between Bellatrix and Snape and um, it and then you've got Narcissa almost weeping on the side but if I think you, it is, you can just see it you know and just his own, 
just his sometimes even when he isn't even speaking just his whole movement the way mm-hmm. he's holding the drink the way he's looking at her the way he cuts her off just like and you know meanwhile all this is happening Paul Cece is in the midst they're like these bitches are cursing I don't give a I just want to say petty if, nonsense to to our listeners if you have never experienced this chapter in audiobook version by Jim it. Dale J- Jim Dale. Jim Dale. He does a hell of a job on this channel. Oh my God. It is amazing. It is amazing. It will give you chills. And I'm not exaggerating. It is done so well. You feel like you feel like you are watching or listening to a piece of theater. No doubt. It is so good <laughs> in audio form. I mean, clearly I am passionate about this chapter. I love it. Reading it for the first time was exciting. And for me, what triggered me as it triggered Snape is when Bellatrix says, then you are to hold your tongues now, Bellatrix, particularly yes. in present company. And then Snape's went off. Snape, that was, that, that, was, that was the bridge too far for Snape. Bellatrix had crossed a line for Snape. Mm-hmm. And even, I mean, I, I, mean, I, don't, Janina, you, I don't know how you want to you know, attack this. Uh, thinking about you know I mean like if we were having a reading session and if this were I mean like this is not even shade I mean Snape's drag Bellatrix through filth he just snatched every wig off of her head by follicle hair follicle by hair follicle oh my gosh and I mean this is Bellatrix Lestrange the woman right basically this is the same woman we had an argument last week about she is powerful and here wands didn't even draw she couldn't even she was she couldn't even draw her wand. But you know what is good about this is because she asked every question that every reader has ever asked, right? Right. And he has the absolute perfect, perfect response. And this was skillful on J.K. Rowling's part to set up oh, this absolutely. Scene to yeah. do this, to do this, right? Because there was no other way in which we could have had this information without giving us the I mean, even within the reveal, right? Even when we know what happens in book seven, this was a pivotal thing that we, this is information we sort of needed to understand how this all worked. And I mean, just like how, I mean, everything, I mean, like, even I had no answer for him, whether he was good, bad, evil, or indifferent. I mean, I'm just like, all right, boo, that's it. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I don't even know what to tell Bellatrix even doing this situation. I, I all I, I know I would have slapped Snape when Snape said, "Forgive me, five six teenagers." I'd have slapped him in the face. I mean, <laughs> that I was mean, great. I would have cursed him. That was Snape great. And in, in you know, again in the audiobook when um he respond when Bellatrix respond, she's like, "Well, you you know that the order showed up." You know, like she's he makes her sound so like. Oh no, you didn't go there, but I'm gonna try to defend myself anyway. <laughs> <laughs> because what's funny is that just before, just before he mentioned the presence of the order of Phoenix, and then he was just like, "Girl, you had Neville, you had Neville Longbottom to deal with." Like seriously. But, but but the other thing though is that you do get the sense that you know Bellatrix is her strong suit is fighting and right. just. Being out there um, wielding her her magical power, you know, dealing with those kinds of things. She is no match for Snape. 
when it comes to that those mind games, she is no match for Snape in terms of the language and the the banter back and forth. She's just no match for him in those in that way. But she is just out there flailing. You know, I'm out here defending the Dark Lord. But in a lot of ways, you know, Snape Snape is so much more cunning. And he's just he's just able to um, drag her without her, and she just kind of gives him all the ammunition. But he basically, um, you know, he just takes her apart. He's totally mean, everyone, her apart. I, and you know, he, he my favorite bit too is when he said, "You can run and tell your little friends about this too, okay, girl? Because That's I know y'all right. here talking about me." <laughs> like, right. Okay, let's let's do it. Let's, like, let's, let's go through the whole thing. Snape is like. I ain't just coming for you. I'm coming for your whole gang. I'm snatching every one of your wings. <laughs> I was just like Severus Snape. I mean, we can, I don't know if we want to take turns in reading it, Janina. I mean, I don't think there will be copyright issues, but this is for fair use only, I guess. Fair rights. You, um, is that what they call it? Something along those lines. Yeah, fair use. Healing. Fair use um, thing here. Um, Everybody have a book? Yes, I have a book. Yes. yes. Where you, you want to start? Um, probably when Snape, uh, let's let's start where Snape says that, you know, okay, Narcissa, I think we ought to hear what Bellatrix is bursting to say. It will save tedious interruptions. <laughs> well, continue, Bellatrix, said Snape. Why is it that you do not trust me? A hundred reasons, she said loudly, striding out from behind the sofa to slam her glass upon the table. Where to start? Mind you, she never actually gives a hundred reasons, but you know. Um, <laughs> anyway, where were you when the Dark Lord fell? Why did, you, why did you never make any attempt to find him when he vanished? What have you been doing all these days when you lived in Dumbledore's pocket? Why did you stop the Dark Lord procuring the Sorcerer's Stone? Why did you not return at once when the Dark Lord was reborn? Where were you a few weeks ago when we battled to retrieve the prophecy from the, for the Dark Lord? And why, Snape, is, is Harry Potter still alive when you had him at your mercy for five years? She, she paused. paused, her chest rising and falling rapidly, the color high in her cheeks. Behind her, Narcissa sat motionless, her face still hidden in her hands. Snape smiled. Before I answer you, oh yes, Bellatrix, I am going to answer. You can carry my words back to the others who whisper behind my back and carry false tales of my treachery to the Dark Lord. Before I answer you, I say, let me ask a question in turn. Do you really think that the Dark Lord has not asked me each and every one of those questions? And do you really think that had I not been able to give satisfactory answers, I would be sitting here talking to you? She hesitated. I know he believes you, but... You think he is mistaken? Or you think I have somehow hoodwinked him? Fooled the Dark Lord, the greatest wizard, the most accomplished legilimens the world has ever seen? Beltrex said some, nothing but looked for the first time a little discom discomfited Snape did not press the point he picked up his drink again sipped it and continued classic classic 
Classic. You <laughs> ask where I was when the Dark Lord fell. I was where he ordered me to be at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry because he wished me to spy upon Albus Dumbledore. You know, I presume that it was on the Dark Lord's orders that I took up the post. She nodded almost imperceptibly and then opened her mouth, but Snape uh, forestalled her. Uh, you have something to say, Reels? Well, Bellatrix don't. Oh. You asked. I would have stopped when he gave this answer at the beginning. To me, I was ready to be like, well, it's true. The Dark Lord would have asked this question, girl, or so, right. It, I mean, that was enough. It truly was enough, right? For me. Like, shut mm -hmm. your mouth. <laughs> shut your mouth. Right. Who are you to question that? I'm telling you that he asked me all of that, and I gave satisfactory answers, and you're still questioning it. Why do you think you're better than him? She should have shut up. You're absolutely so, right. But you see what he's doing here, right? He's indicating right off the bat, girl, you are beneath me. When That's she right. showed up in here, like, you know, right. on a high hog, he just said like, right off the bat. I've already been drilled by the Dark Lord, so what are you even trying to do? Exactly. Yeah, who the hell are you? Who are you? <laughs> okay, so you ask why I did not attempt to find him when he vanished. For the same reason that Avery, Yaxley, the Caros, Greyback, Lucius, he indicated his head slightly to Narcissa, and many others did not attempt to find him. I believed him finished. I'm not proud of it. I was wrong, but there it is. If he had not forgiven we who lost faith at that time, he would have very few followers left. He'd have me, said Bellatrix passionately, I who spent many years in Azkaban for him. Yes, indeed. Most admirable, said Snape in a bored voice. Of course, you weren't a lot of use to him in prison. But the gesture is undoubtedly fighting fine. words. Fighting words. Fighting words. I swear to God, he would have been dead. He would have been dead. He would have been dead. He's like, he bitch. Been dead. You were protected in a cell. Chill. No, I don't. I don't care. When Snape said this, I was mad for Bellatrix. I mean, like, and then gesture. She shrieked in her fury, looking slightly mad. While I endured the mentors, you remain at Hogwarts, um, comfortably playing Dumbledore's pet. Not quite, said mm. Snape calmly. He wouldn't give me the defense against the dark arts job, you know. Seemed to think it was, might uh, bring about a relapse. Tempt me into my old ways. This was your sacrifice for the Dark Lord, not to teach your favorite subject, she jeered. Why did you stay all this time, Snape? Still spying on Dumbledore for a master you believe dead? This is how this is her this is really her retort, right? This is what she thinks <laughs> it is gonna <laughs> knock Snape off. And <laughs> mind <laughs> you, she starts off the whole scene with slamming her drink down on the table, right? To have this whole mm -hmm. hundred reasons. And She's Snape like, I'm a bad bitch. And Snape <laughs> is mainly taking up his drink lightly, bored, sipping. You know, I mean, like that whole gesture indicated to Narcissa. So, I mean, like, he even have all of them beneath him. He's just like, mm, on that one over there. Oh, Lucius. I mean, let's say, Snape is, and I mean. I love that. I'm going to look over at you. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, you're still here. 
We know you're still I, here. I, I, I'm gonna call you, know, you I'm out that too. Messy one over there, Ooh, girl. <laughs> I mean, like I'm pulling out this. Uh, Nancy mm-hmm. is oblivious to all of the, the a hurricane is basically happening. Well, a cyclone is happening over one side, and a fresh of a cool summer breeze is blowing on the same And Narcissa <laughs> is in a deranged madness state. She she don't even know where to look up or look down. <laughs> so, <laughs> so all right, hardly Hardy, said yeah. Snape. Although the Dark Lord is pleased that I never deserted my post, I had 16 years of information on Dumbledore to give him when he returned, a rather more useful welcome back present than endless reminiscences. What is the word? (laughs) (laughs) I'll edit that out. Okay, wait. I had 16 years of information on Dumbledore to give him when he returned. A rather more useful welcome back present than them endless reminiscences of unpleasant Azkaban. Of, oh dead. my God. Dead. I, I dead. can't do it. Dead. I mean, like, Snips would have been dead again. I would have killed him again. Slice his body into pieces. This is beyond all the shady shit that he's been out here saying. I mean, Snips is just digging her Every single time. This isn't even like, and he's not even. While she's being all animated and physical, Snape is just. He doesn't here, like, raise his voice. He doesn't raise his voice. Well, he doesn't barely moves. He's drinking the same drink. He's bored about you know this like girl, because he starts about like you know, Narcissa. Let this, let she talk because you know I ain't got time. Let's not waste time. She's gonna interrupt us, so let her talk and then we're gonna move on. But you stayed. Yes, Bellatrix, I stayed, said Snape, betraying a hint of impatience for the first time. I had a comfortable job and I prefer- that I preferred to a stint in Azkaban. They were rounding up the Death Eaters, you know. Dumbledore's <laughs> protection kept me out of jail. It was most convenient and I used it. I repeat, the Dark Lord does not complain that I stayed, so I do not see why you do. Another blow. Another blow. Mm-hmm. I think you next wanted to know, he pressed on a little more loudly for Bellatrix showed every sign of interrupting. Can't you just see, like, right here, Bellatrix, like, wanting to, like, jump, jump? I just, I envisioned this when I saw mm-hmm. it first. She's anxious. She's like her blood pressure is probably through the roof and she's like i got i gotta i gotta get a comeback like i'm getting dogged here this isn't what i'm supposed to be I'm so she to wants him to let go of her hair because he's literally dragging her across the floor like she just wanted to <laughs> exactly. like, she just wants to breathe out like he's, he's because he's doing the thing he's doing the thing that is going to really get on her nerves right because he's saying you were useless me you are questioning the dark lord and that yeah. is the problem that is causing the real conflict here for her. And reminding her that she was essentially useless. I oh, mean, God. yes, you 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 took one for the team. You went to prison. But what did you do? You didn't do shit. You didn't do shit. You what didn't you even look serious Oh, my God. The Dementos were really rough on me. Girl, we ain't got time for that. <laughs> you said it. He said it. He also said it. But y'all ain't got unuseful going on in there. And I mean, like, I'm surprised Snape didn't even say but serious escape girl what were you doing right right i'm right. looking back oh yep 
I expected him to throw that dig in her face, just like girl, serious escape. I was like, but you know, like, how come you Snape, Snape, Snape ain't giving serious zero credit. He ain't giving serious a single credit at all. But I mean, but can you? I mean, if a Dementor came at Bellatrex, she would just um, hiss back at him. And I they mean, would, they exactly. might run away. She wouldn't need a Patronus. She would just hiss back at him. Her, my girl's so evil. I'll be like, hey, John, that's what you're going to do. Hey, John, what you doing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but the thing about it is that they were supposed to drain people of power, but apparently, I mean, these wizarding gods ain't been doing shit. But. Well, she knew that if you're trying to take Bellatrix's soul, can we have a conversation as to whether Bellatrix has, has a soul? A, that's true. <laughs> that woman is sheer evilness. She, first of all, if we back up to the beginning, you know, um, well, when we first meet her, and, and she's out of Azkaban, and she's like throwing these nasty curses in such a fun loving way like ha 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 you know like you know i think it just it goes to play at her sheer level of freaking evilness like this woman is just mean and nasty well don't she tells, says that is she, she told Narcissa, was... if i had a son i would be happy no you wouldn't like no you wouldn't you know this is a classic this is the classic uh situation of somebody telling a parent what to do when they don't have any kids but she's like i'd give him uh, right over what's oh, wrong with I you think she would, i think she would definitely sacrifice her son there's no I doubt mean, about I think, that i think that she thinks that she no would. no 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 no. she sacrificed her husband she would have sacrificed yes, i think she would, she would i have. think i, I think bellatrix no would have been like those, that. i would have been like those women in england in world war one that when their son if their sons didn't um volunteer to to fight they would they would turn against them. I mean that turned that that was kind of normal for people. If you thought the cause was su- such that you just were ashamed of anybody that in, that you had in your family that didn't step up, deserters so, yeah. were, were ostracized from society. People yes. who came back and even those who were like who got injured while at home. I mean yep. Bellatrix. There was no doubt in my mind that Bellatrix yep. would have giving her son and to me even Narcissa's whole scenario here was messy to me I think what she was mad at is the task knowing that there was no get that the impossibility of there being any success of this task but had they given him some other task like go kill Harry Potter he would have gladly signed up for that role I mean there is no doubt so to me her whole her outrage of this situation it's almost like one of those situations where you're all fine and fair with the evilness once it's not happening to you Right? It's, right, it's it's good and fair. Once right. it's not my, it's not my child. We're talking about here, like oh, because we would later see that same narcissist who was crying look Harry in the face, and said, "Ooh, bitch, somebody's gonna get you one of these days." Who you think you're talking to? <laughs> and we know the contempt that they have for um Hermione, mm-hmm. the sheer contempt they have for this girl, and because you know he don't go home because. This is even, he's going home and telling them the reason why I'm not doing well is because of her. It's, it's not to say, like, this is not one of those, like, a sports competition where we're only giving out one gold medal, Draco. Okay? You're not doing well because it's you, boo. You're hanging out with Crab and Goyle. And, and his, his father is, you know, like, disgusted that you're letting this mudblood beat you. 
yeah. at, you know, at, at achieving all of these things and, and magically. Um, you know, his mother was probably a little bit more sympathetic because that's her baby boy. But dad already said, you know, he already had his eyebrow arched. Like, why are you letting this blood, you know, exactly. we don't believe that they're capable. You know, that they're capable of being, of, of besting us in magic. So why are you letting this happen? What's go, what's wrong with you? So, I mean, these people, I mean, I, I spared no sympathy for any of this whole lot here. I mean, but I know Bellatrix doesn't give a, a shit about, she, she would give, have. Listen, she, she has no fucks to give. Because no, because we, 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 we later learned that she has been teaching um, Draco um, occlumency. To this specific task, right? Because there is this intercompetition between them, as we mentioned earlier. Like these people, these people are a bunch of sickles. But you know, <laughs> I mean, you can't. I mean, like as unfortunately, I'm as I say this, I'm literally we're we're literally living the same life, right? It's just you like are living this life. I don't even know. Maybe it's the only difference is that I have specific funny names in Harry Potter, Bellatrix, but in real <laughs> life, we have what. Betsy DeVos, we, oh, we got um, Nikki Haley, you know, oh. we got the same people. We got, we our, got, we got our own Death Eaters. I mean, know, all they need uh, is a dark mark. Oh but, gosh. you know, I think one interesting thing is that um, Drake and Roland is doing this very gendered situation here about mothers speaking about the sacrifice as if fathers wouldn't commit this kind of, show this sort of sacrifice. For their children. It always seems to be this sort of like a motherly sort of thing. And we know, um, I, I, I don't know, because to me, I, I imagine, well, Malfoy, I don't know. I'm, I presume Malfoy would have had the same feeling because they wouldn't even, even Bellatrix is afraid of Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. She's afraid right. of Dumbledore. Yeah. That, was, that, that was what she was trying to tell um Voldemort when she went upstairs when Voldemort appeared but Voldemort just like shut up girl I ain't got time to deal with you y'all already messed up in this situation and mm-hmm. she just like master he is below because right. then that, so she so they know this task is almost an impossible uh, they, they are all aware of this impossible thing but, well, you know, that's why but this real plan but remember, remember the real plan the real plan of Voldemort was basically knowing that he would he would not succeed that someone else would do it. That is the right. real plan all the more. That he would flood the well, Lucius, air in the arena. But, sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, Lucius, remember, Lucius would use his position as, on being on the governor, board of governors of the school to get Dumbledore removed if he, you know, when he could. Like he did in, in the, with the Chamber of Secrets, even though he knew that wasn't, you know, that wasn't Dumbledore's fault. He's going to use whatever power he has to um to do that because he's not going to take on it's always going to be behind the scenes it's going to always going to be backhanded because none of these people are going to take on Dumbledore face to face no they're all very clearly afraid Mm-mm. of him every single I, I, th- I think he even um there Someone was says... a scene where he, he t- I think in Chamber Secret um Malfoy was about to take out his wand but he knows better, boo. He knows. He knows. He was gonna take out his wand against Harry. 
Oh, it was just about Harry. Okay, I thought it was in the... Uh, but, his oh, against oh, Harry. oh, and they went outside. Yes, yes, yes. They went outside. He knew better. He wasn't going to... He was like, you know, I'm just not even going to acknowledge the fact that I was the one that got you out of here. But, you know, because I just put pressure. Remember, he, was, he had written to all the parents, and he had right. just used everything, every power he had to try to get him away from the school, but he wasn't going to take Dumbledore on face-to-face. Right. But so we're at the scene where I think I think you next wanted to know. Okay, I think you next wanted to know, he pressed on a little more loudly, for Bellatrix showed every sign of interrupting, why I stood between the Dark Lord and the Sorcerer's Stone. That is easily answered. He did not know whether he could trust me. He thought, like you, that I had turned from faithful Death Eater to Dumbledore Stooge. He was in a pitable condition, very weak staring at the body sharing the body of a mediocre wizard he did not dare reveal himself to a former ally if that ally might turn him over to dumbledore or the ministry i deeply regret that he did not trust me he would have returned to power three years sooner as it was i only greed i only saw greedy and unworthy quarrel attempting to steal the stone and i admit i did all i could to thwart him Bellatrix's mouth twisted as though she had taken an unpleasant dose of <laughs> But you didn't return when he came back. You didn't fly back to him at once when he when when you felt the dark mark burn. Girl, you could you didn't either. I don't know what were you talking about, but okay. <laughs> Correct. I returned two hours later. I returned on Dumbledore's orders. Hold on. This is the is this the first time that we really get confirmation that Death Eaters fly? No, I I I, I don't they, think they're flying. I, I think they figure speed. Oh, they I fly. No, 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 no. I think we are, the movies show that they're flying back. Oh, is that but what I it think is? What happened <laughs> is that they're apparating and disapparating. Yeah, yeah, but in the in the end. In book seven, don't they fly, or is no, it just Dumbledore, or is it just Voldemort? It's just Voldemort. You know okay. how I feel about that situation. But, all right, you know? all right, <laughs> all right. Moving on. <laughs> uh, they're supposed to. I think what she means is that you know how we say that like he's fly up there to L- like out. hurry up, yeah. Right, exactly. I think that's how she meant it. Got it. Um, <laughs> where are we? Reels. Oh, oh correct. No, 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 no. But you didn't return when... No, I no. it's Janina. Correct. Um, um, by the way... Um, no, it is my turn. But, um, Deb, do you want to read Bellatrix's part? I, I don't want you to miss out any of this sweet no, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly content to be Narcissa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that does not even sound right. <laughs> because Deb don't want any of this burn, okay? Like, <laughs> Deb is putting you. up a, proto- a Patronus. To, to, I sure <laughs> And my Patronus is a little bunny. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> All right. So um, here we are. Correct. I returned two hours later. I returned on Dumbledore's orders. On Dumbledore's? She began in tones of outrage. Think, said Snape and Peyton <laughs> again. Think. By waiting two hours, just two hours, I ensured that I could remain at Hogwarts as a spy. By allowing Dumbledore to think that I was only returning to the Dark Lord's side because I was ordered to, I have been able to pass information on Dumbledore and the Order of the Phoenix ever since. Consider 
Bellatrix. The dark mark had been growing stronger for months. I knew he must be about to return. All the Death Eaters knew. I had plenty of time to think about what I wanted to do to plan my next move to escape like Kokorov, didn't I? The Dark Lord's initial displeasure at my lateness vanished entirely, I assure you, when I explained that I remained faithful, although Dumbledore thought I was his man. Yes, the Dark Lord thought that I had left him forever, but he was wrong. But what use, but what use have you been, sneered Bellatrix? What useful information have you had from, as we, have we had from you? My information has been conveyed directly to the Dark Lord. Punched in the throat. Boom, bitch. If he chooses not to share it with you. He shares everything with me, said Bellatrix, fired up at once. He calls me his most loyal, his most faithful. Does he, said Snape, his voice delicately inflected to suggest his disbelief. Does he still... After the fiasco at the ministry? Jim Dale said, after the fiasco at the ministry. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it is delicious. I'm telling you, fat back. It is bacon, crisp, just right. <laughs> that was not my fault, said Bellatrix, flushing. The Dark Lord has, in the past, entrusted me with his most precious, if Lucius hadn't. Don't you dare. Don't you dare blame my husband, said Narcissa in a low and deadly voice, looking up at her sister. There is no point appreciating blame, said Snape smoothly. What is done is done. But not by you, said Bellatrix ferociously. No, you were once again absent while the rest of us ran dangers, were you not, Snape? My orders were to remain behind, said Snape. Perhaps you disagree with the Dark Lord. Perhaps you think that Dumbledore would not have noticed if I had joined forces with the Death Eaters to fight the Order of the Phoenix. And forgive me, you speak of dangers. You were facing six teenagers, were you not? They will join, as you very well know, by the half half the order before long, snarled Bellatrix. And while we were on the subject of the order, you still claim you cannot reveal the whereabouts of their headquarters, do you? Don't you? I am not the secret keeper. I cannot speak the name of the place. You understand how the enchantment works, I think? The Dark Lord is satisfied with the information I have passed him on on the order. It led, as perhaps you have guessed, to the recent capture of and murder of Emmeline Vance, and it certainly helped dispose of Sirius Black, though I will give you full credit for finishing him off. He inclined his head and toasted her. Her expression did not soften. You are avoiding my last question, Snape. Harry Potter. You could have killed him at any point in the past five years. You have not done it. Why? Have you discussed this matter with the Dark Lord, asked Snape? (laughs) Fatality. 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 I mean, fatality. I mean, like, he... (laughs) 
Lately, we... I'm asking you, Snape. If I had murdered Harry Potter, the Dark Lord could not have used his blood to regenerate, making him invincible. You claim you foresaw this use of the boy? She jeered. I do not claim it. I had no idea of his plans. I have already confessed that I thought the Dark Lord dead. I am merely trying to explain why the Dark Lord is not sorry that Potter survived, at least until a year ago. But why did you keep him alive? Have you not understood me? It was only Dumbledore's protection that was keeping me out of Azkaban. Do you disagree that murdering his favorite student might have turned him against me? But there was more to it than that. I should remind you that when Potter first arrived to Hogwarts, there were still many stories circulating about him. Rumors that he himself was a great dark wizard, which was how he had survived the Dark Lord's attack. Indeed, many of the Dark Lord's old followers thought Potter might be a standard around which we could all rally once more. I was curious, I admit it, and not at all inclined to murder him the moment he set foot in the castle. Of course, it became apparent to me very quickly that he had no extraordinary talent at all. He was fought. He has fought his way out of a number of tight corners by sim by a simple combination of sheer luck and more talented friends. Listen, that line. <laughs> every time I hear it, Rills, I think of you. You're like, I know you do. Harry ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> and none of them ain't shit without that snake. None of them. <laughs> Hermione saves his ass all the time. Every time I hear it. Anyways, okay. So, uh, da, 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 da. he is mediocre to the last degree, though his obnoxious and self-satisfied as was his father before him. I have done my utmost to have him thrown out of Hogwarts, where I believe he scarcely belongs. But kill him or allow him to be killed in front of me? I would have been a fool to risk it with Dumbledore close at hand. And through all this, we are supposed to believe Dumbledore has never suspected you, said Arthur Trix. He has no idea of your true allegiance. He trusts you implicitly still. I have played my part well, said Snape, and you overlook Dumbledore's greatest weakness. He has to believe the best of people. I spun him a tale of deepest remorse when I joined his staff, fresh from my Death Eater days, and he embraced me with open arms, though, I say, never allowing me nearer the dark arts than he could help. Dumbledore has been a great wizard. Oh, yes, he has, for Bellatrix made a scathing noise. The Dark Lord acknowledges it. I am pleased to say, however, that Dumbledore is growing old. The duel with the Dark Lord last month shook him. He has since sustained a serious injury because his reactions are slower than they once were. But through all these years, he has never stopped trusting Severus Snape. And therein lies my great value to the Dark Lord. Bellatrex still looked unhappy, though she appeared unsure how best to attack Snape yet next. 
Taking advantage of her silence, Snape turned to her sister. Now, you came to ask me for help, Narcissa? (laughs) Narcissa looked up at him, her face eloquent with despair. Yes, Severus. I think you are the only one who can help me. I have nowhere else to turn. Lucius is in jail and she closed her eyes and two large tears seeped from beneath her eyelids. No the Dark Lord has forbidden me to speak of it, Narcissa continued, her eyes still closed. He wishes none to know of the plan. It is very secret, but- If he has forbidden it, you ought not speak, said Snape at once. The Dark Lord's word is law. Narcissa gasped as though he had doused her with cold water. Bellatrix looked satisfied for the first time since she had entered the house. There, she said triumphantly to her sister, even Snape said so. You were told not to talk, so hold your silence. But Snape had gotten to his feet and strode to the small window, peered through the curtains at the deserted street, then closed them again with a jerk. He turned around to face Narcissa, frowning. It so happens that I know of the plan, he said in a low voice. I am one of the few, the Dark Lord has told. Nevertheless, I had not been in on the secret, Narcissa. You would have been Guilty of great treachery to the Dark Lord. I thought you must know about it, said Narcissa, breathing more freely. He trusts you so, Snape Severus. You know about the plan, said Bellatrix, her fleeting expression of satisfaction replaced by a look of outrage. You know? Certainly, said Snape. But what help do you require, Narcissa? If you are imagining I can persuade the Dark Lord to change his mind, I am afraid there is no hope, none at all. Severus, she whispered, tears sliding down her pale cheeks. My son, my only son. Draco should be proud, said Bellatrix indifferently. The Dark Lord is granting him a great honor. And I would say this for Draco. He isn't shrinking away from his duty. He seems glad of a chance to prove himself excited at the prospect. Narcissa began to cry in earnest, gazing beseechingly all the while at Snape. That's because he is 16 and has no idea what lies in store. Why, Severus? Why, my son? It is too dangerous. This is vengeance for Lucius's mistake. I know it. Snape said nothing. He looked away from the sight of her tears as though they were indecent but he could not pretend not to hear her. That's why he's chosen Draco, isn't it, she persisted, to punish Lucius. If Draco succeeds, said Stape, still looking away from her, he will be honored above all others. But he won't succeed, sobbed Narcissa. How can he, when the Dark Lord himself... (gasps) Narcissa seemed to lose her nerve. I I only meant that nobody has yet succeeded. Severus, please, you are. You have always been Draco's favorite teacher. You are Lucius's old friend. I beg you, you are the Dark Lord's favorite, his most trusted advisor. Will you speak to him? Persuade him? But you know, before we go... 
but wait, wait, I just want to say, you notice what she's doing here, right? What yeah. Narcissa is doing is the thing that You're we know. You're the favorite. The politics <laughs> yeah. that we know happens in the background every single day, right? This jockeying right. for position. Only and you. <laughs> you can but do my it. Favorite, my favorite line is when she's just like, how can he? When the dark lord himself. Oh. Like, right. Was I about to say that out loud? I just mean that nobody, I just, you know, I'm just, I just mean that nobody has done it. Yet. You know what I'm saying, Severus. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is to be, this should be a scene for like, let's should do this a table read for this scene, this whole scene. <laughs> I mean, this. Exactly. exactly. People <laughs> ought to use this as uh, audition tape, you know? Exactly. Oh, they should. It's just, yeah. this is just. That would be so fun. And I want to hear them all. <laughs> right. <laughs> the Dark Lord will not be persuaded. And I am not stupid enough to attempt it, said Snape flatly. I cannot pretend that the Dark Lord is not angry with Lucius. Lucius was supposed to be in charge. He got himself captured, along with how many others, and failed to retrieve the prophecy into the bargain. Yes, the Dark Lord is angry, Narcissa. Very angry indeed. Then I am right. He has chosen Draco in revenge, choked Narcissa. He does not mean him to succeed. He wants him to be killed trying. When Snape said nothing, Narcissa seemed to lose what little self-restraint she still possessed. Standing up, she staggered to Snape and seized the front of his robes. Her face close to his, her tears falling onto his chest, she gasped. You could do it. You could do it instead of Draco Severus. You would succeed. Of course you would. And he would reward you beyond all of us. Severus look, she's, she's skillful. She is skilled. She's not drinking violets. Violet. She's a mother. That's right. <laughs> she feels like I got to lay it all down. Yep. Caught hold of her wrists and moved, removed her clutching hands, looking down into her tear-stained face. He said slowly, "He intends me to do it in the end, I think, but he is determined that Draco should try first. You see, in the unlikely event that Draco succeeds, I shall be able to remain at Hogwarts a little longer, fulfilling my useful role as spy." In other words, it doesn't matter to him if Draco is killed. The Dark Lord is very angry, repeated Snape quietly. He failed to hear the prophecy. You know as well as I do, Narcissa, that he does not forgive easily. She crumpled, falling at his feet, sobbing and moaning on the floor. My only son, my only son. You should be proud, said Bellatrix ruthlessly. If I had sons, I would be glad to give them up to the service of the Dark Lord. Narcissa gave a little scream of despair and clutched at her long blonde hair. I think she's just imagining the idea that Bellatrix having children is just like, oh my God, the nightmare continues. The nightmare Snape shoot. Seized her by the arms, lifted her up, and steered her back onto the sofa. He then poured her more wine and forced the glass into her hand. Narcissa, that's enough. Drink this. Listen to me. Hold up. I have to say, you remember we were talking a couple weeks ago about alcoholism in the magical world? It's it everywhere. Is. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, they either offer you chocolate, the they either offer wine. you sleep. 
awesome liquor for any trauma you're dealing with. Just like yeah. <laughs> we, got nothing else. we got nothing else. <laughs> Quiet the Here is some liquor. I mean, are you aware of the amount of drink they have had in this whole exchange, right? Like the, exactly. the, the bottle has never ended. Because I mean, a bottle of one bottle of wine can give you about four. Glass three. or standard glass? Three. Three. Oh, three. Deb likes a heavy pour, I see. I do like a heavy pour. <laughs> Evan and her daughters. Okay, that's it. Next bottle. Yep. <laughs> it's true. I mean, like it's... Little... Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was saying it's true. It, it basically only gives you basically three three glasses. I mean, it's that's meant for it. one person always. I'm just saying. Yeah, I agree. Everyone bring their own bottle. <laughs> <laughs> She quieted a little, slopping wine down herself. She took a shaky sip. I imagine a winky. Yes, yes. This is so winky. <laughs> winky. Drunk on butter, babe. It's not even going down anymore. It's just going everywhere. It might be possible for me to help Draco. She sat up, her face paper white, her eyes huge. Severus, oh Severus, you would help him? Would you look after him? See that he comes to no harm? I can try. She flung away her glass and skidded across the table as she slid off the sofa into a kneeling position at Snape's feet, seized his hand in both of hers and pressed her lips to it. If you are there to protect him, Severus, will you swear it? Will you make the unbreakable vow? The unbreakable vow? Snape's expression was blank, unreadable. Bellatrix, however, let out a cackle of triumphant <laughs> laughter. Are you listening, Nazi Oh, you try. I'm sure. The usual empty words, the usual slithering out of action. Oh, under Dark Lord's orders, of course. Snape did not... Bellatrix. His black eyes were fixed upon Narcissa's tear-filled blue ones as she continued to clutch his hand. Certainly, Narcissa. I will make the unbreakable vow, he said quietly. Perhaps your sister will consent to be our bonder. Bellatrix's mouth flew open. Snape lowered himself so he was kneeling opposite Narcissa. Beneath Bellatrix's astonished gaze, they grasped right hands. You will need your wand, Bellatrix, said Snape coldly. She drew it, looking still looking astonished. And you will need to move a little closer, he said. She stepped forward, so she stood over them and placed the tip of her wand on their linked hands. Narcissa spoke. Will you, Severus, watch over my son Draco as he attempts to fulfill the Dark Lord's wishes? I will, said Snape. A thin tongue of brilliant flame issued from the wand and wound its way around their hands like a red-hot wire. And will you, to the best of your ability, protect him from harm? I will, said Snape. A second tongue of flame shot from the wand and interlinked with the first, making a fine, glowing chain. And should it prove necessary, if it seems Draco will fail, whispered Narcissa. Snape's hand twitched within hers, but he did not draw away. Will you carry out the deed that the Dark Lord has ordered Drake to perform? There was a moment's silence, 
silence. Bellatrix watched her wand upon their clasped hands, her eyes wide. I will, said Snape. Bellatrix's astounded face glowed red in the blaze of a third tongue of flame which shot from the wand, twisted with the others, and bound itself thickly around their clasped hands like a rope, like a fiery snake. Snake. Where's our applause button? I mean, <laughs> yay! Hey! I mean, if they're radio Oscars, we're getting it. We're getting I love it. that so much. I love it. Listen, okay. So, did you when you when you um, when you went through this on first read? Did you assume that the task was to kill Dumbledore? No, I did. I didn't. I did not. I did. Not. I did because because of what Narcissa said. That I mean, I couldn't think of like what it couldn't have been. I think the presumption would have been to kill Harry. But I knew yeah. that um, that that Voldemort seemed to, seemed to be very adamant about killing Harry himself. I, I, See, I but this was it. given what had happened. Given what had happened at the end of book five, I was thinking that he had decided that oh, someone okay, else needed to kill Harry, and that that was why I was thrown off that it was not that that. That it, that he was gonna have Draco, maybe he felt that he needed to be a peer. I don't know, and that he was going to have Draco do it. Actually, wait, let me see something. I, I remember. Go ahead, sorry. I remember feeling very uncertain and not. I didn't have any idea what it was. I didn't think it was to kill Dumbledore. I didn't think it was to kill Harry. I, at this point, you don't even understand the um, significance of an unbreakable vow. Snape is clearly a, a bit nervous to do it, but does it. But we still don't yet know what that even means. We just kind of, you know, we know that it seems to be a really big deal. I remember feeling excited about it and so incredibly pissed off at Snape and not even knowing why I'm trying to think about what I thought about who I thought I don't know why I didn't think it was Harry that he was attempting to kill that was so not what I was thinking about but I knew it was something else and I couldn't and I remember thinking I wasn't sure but I think as I was relating to as the things were happening at the school in my mind, I realized that it was saying it had to have been the plan was really to get at Dumbledore. But the interesting thing, as we were reading this this time and as we're going through it, I am now very suspicious of, suspicious about Narcissa. That to me, this whole scene can be played at, can be played not as a mother's love, but as a mother being conniving. That she was being all of these tears and all of this remonstration and all of this plea and all of this like sycophantic, you know, you are the favorite one. You know, you will be praised above everyone else. And because she recently enjoyed that position. That was her position she and Malfoy enjoyed. That this was all, you know, faked. It's, it's to get what she want because this was the plan. The plan was basically, notice how she comes about like Severus do something, talk to him. And then she goes like, Make the unbreakable vow. Because we know Draco will fail. You will protect him. And you do what Draco is supposed to do. Because I don't want it to be on Draco. So. 
I did. I if I read as we were doing the whole read through for me. It was really that. But I'm trying to go back to think. I don't know why I don't. I don't know if I, I might be wrong in thinking that I immediately thought it was Dumbledore upon first reading in it, like you said. But I, I knew it wasn't Harry. I knew it, it. It couldn't have been Harry. That thing. But I know it was something else because she said. I just figured there would have been something we would have learned within this book because. CC said not even um, the Dark Lord couldn't do it himself. So I don't know if I thought maybe it was a position to get at Harry, because every time Harry has been able to, Voldemort has been in Harry's presence, he's been thwarted to some extent. So I just thought Draco was supposed to get the Dark Lord close to Harry again, because I didn't think Draco couldn't, I mean, if Draco wanted to kill Harry, he could have done that ages ago. So I knew once they were in school, the aim was not to kill Harry. But I, th- I think, though, that um, D- Draco, Draco's feeling of, of trying, of you know, he wanted to hurt Harry. He wanted to damage Harry. He wanted to get Harry kicked out of school. But I think in terms of the kind of murderous intent that we see throughout this book, um, I think that a lot of that came from, a lot, a lot of it was bravado. Mm-hmm. Um, just like a lot of it with Lucius is, provo- is bravado, but I think the little bit that he had was from having this task from the Dark Lord. I don't think up until that point he really felt like, um, I don't think he had, you know, because he really wasn't t- totally courageous himself. He was always having to hurt somebody behind their back, curse yeah. somebody. Remember how he tried to curse Harry behind his back when mm-hmm. until Mad Eye Moody turned him into a, <laughs> into a ferret? Right. <laughs> yeah. so I, I, I don't think he was someone who was like, I'm plotting to kill Harry Potter until, and the, the whole idea of murderous intent seemed to me to be placed in him by the task that he's been given by the by the Dark Lord. But, I mean, the, but, but in, in fact, technically, the task task isn't the task was supposed to get them into the castle right so that they could be so that they cannot because i don't think the whole idea was that he couldn't do it alone and that's what we're getting ahead of us that's why to me somehow i know i never read it initially as being killing because on the train if he was supposed to kill harry he could have done it right then and there right, right. that it's, inter- it's interesting. It's interesting that the same way the the book five ends with them putting the the curse on on Draco and putting him up in the luggage rack. Right. It's the same thing that happens to Harry. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I never even thought of that. So that's I think so. Draco is all about that because I think Draco's um, I think what 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 is threatening Draco's about Harry Potter that I always get was that. Draco had intended that he was going to be king supreme of that generation. Yeah. And somehow, because everything, because Lucius Malfoy is king supreme of his generation somewhat, right? The Malfoys are supposedly, I don't know whether they're the richest people, because I think somehow the blacks seem to have a lot of money. And um, Hepzibah Smith, as you would meet, those people have money as well. Well, it seems but, like they're probably the richest. They're rich, but they have the most influ- influence. Influence, right. Yeah. There is that bit, which is just as equally important. I think Draco intended to be that person. But, right. and you could see that even his old cronies don't particularly like him. 
So mm-hmm. he's not even charismatic in that manner, but he is allowed to what Draco is living off and that he doesn't recognize is that he's living off of his father's fumes, right? right. <laughs> and he doesn't recognize and, he and himself. To a degree, um, because Narcissa comes from the black side, you know, she comes from the black family, she is bringing the lineage. Because we never really hear much about Draco, too. About, about Lucius's family. We hear about the Blacks and about their role, their being one of those old wizarding pure blood families. But we, you know, we don't really know that much about Lucia. So you get the the feeling that that Narcissa is bringing that family lineage to the table. For me, Draco is attempting this task because this is going to give him that individual grit, the spirit yeah. that he, that 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 glory that he. He is looking for because right. even there is a certain level of because I mean there's certain hints I think with we, we, um, we talk about um, I, last week I said her name is Agatha but it's actually Augusta Longbottom how sometimes the the, 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 the parents sort of foam on to Draco Draco we see this when the interaction in book two where Draco just like oh can I have the hand of glory and his father just like I hope my son would want to aspire more than a common thief you know, and that Draco is somewhat of a disappointment in many ways to his parents. I mean, I don't give two shit. I mean, if anybody who should be abused out here is is, is Draco, right? But and maybe we can also say abuse children, you know, become the abusers because he's really and truly, he continues to ride school and he's being just particularly sick and nasty to everyone. Um, Hermione says this the way in which he treats first years, right? He always push right. them around and whatever. So it isn't even just he hates Harry particularly. It's just his contempt for everyone else is beneath him. But he's him. a bully, and his father's a bully. And they're always looking for one big hit to rescue them. Lucius was looking to get that prophecy so he could once again be back in the good graces of the right. dark. And Draco is looking for this big, to fill, fulfill this task to get that one big hit. It's almost like, you know, hydrochloroquine. We're going to get, we're going to get one big thing <laughs> that's going to save the day to cover up our incompetence and ineptness up until this point. So that everybody will forget that the reason we've got to have this big splash is because we effed up so badly leading up to this. So Draco and his father are cut from the same cloth in this way, so that they both want something that's going to be, you know, to be to, to wipe away the memory of their previous incompetence. Yes. But, you know, to wipe away the memory. In this case, Draco's looking to wipe away his father's, um, you know, redeem his father. You're just as good father- as your last hit, right? Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, but they don't know Voldemort like, has a long memory, right? Voldemort is heady. Why bother when you're talking about Voldemort? But anyway, they don't have any choice. They've, they've thrown their lot in with Voldemort. It's like Wormtail. They can't exactly walk amongst the magical world right now. <laughs> so we've got to, it's you know, to, we've got to really try to make this work. So Because that's what Harry throws into Draco's face right then and there, right? It's that everybody yeah. knows that your father... There's a lion nasty scum he's always been. <laughs> we know that now. You know what I mean? And they, they, they have known this because there was a newspaper article before that Harry gave the, the, the quibbler. But remember, um, Fudge dismissed all of that by saying, 
oh no, he just read old newspapers and he just regurgitated names and whatever. But now they were caught in the Ministry of Magic and Fudge, Fudge, who we know took took um, bribe money, he can't explain right. that. So, so Fudge has to basically, sorry, boo, yeah, I gotta go to jail because I gotta save my neck before I save your neck now. Right, um, but, but he still couldn't save his own neck because he's out too. <laughs> oh well, you no, know, but he, I, I understand he felt like he had to try, but. You know, that was not going to be enough considering the big, you know, you, you've let the darkest Lord of all time back, in, back into things. Exactly. Uh, you don't keep, you don't get to keep your job. Nope. <laughs> and you've done nothing. And guess what? Scrimgeour ain't doing anything. So no. Janina has given us the wrap-up sign. Um, you know, oh. she, 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 she's kept us at two hours. And like I said, we didn't even get to Privet Drive, so... This is going to be we'll a long series in books. We'll be better. We'll be better next. We'll be next better. Time. We won't be doing any reading because I mean, this season is just Shakespearean. We couldn't it let really that go. I really mean, was. this was like you know, like um, what's those um, David Mamet and you know those people, those playwrights, yeah. those American, yeah. you know, British playwrights. This is like Amadeus. That whole scene yes. that was my favorite. Yes. <laughs> this yes. is like Salieri and you know Mozart confrontation. <laughs> You know, uh, interesting. Um, there is the play. Um, Ma- I'm gonna say Mary Stewart. I always think of the Italian um, by Schiller, and he creates this whole confrontation scene of Mary, Queen of Scots, meeting Elizabeth the First. It never happened in history, but that scene is so powerful that every single Elizabeth and Mary's Queen of Scots movie has played that in. scene, has yeah. put it in, so it has no historical bearing. So it's one of those powerful confrontation too, scenes. It's, too, it's irresistible. Right. A confrontation scene is so irresistible. You must have it. And here we have, because we've never had any of this, we've never had confrontation scene in this manner, right? They've always been like sort of one-sided or like magic has play. Magic was playing is an interplay. But here, not a single spell has happened right. until the very so end. No, no flash, no bang. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, Bellatrix, the one who would open her mouth just speaking, filled and evil, she has been, Snape has quieted Bellatrix Lestrange. And that is a task in and of itself. So. Because yes, it she, is, she is determined that she is going to have that position next mm-hmm. to Dark Lord. Yes, she wants to be. Um, I guess what you don't want to say is just like the Dark Lord call me Bella. What you all got? He don't call you Snapey. He don't call you Cece. He calls me Bella. I am his favorite. I don't even want to think about the implications and the madness, you know, but this is a children's literature book that, that keeps reminding us. That's so there's madness. The madness that is interplaying within this story here. I mean, there's a other. Um, Scenes that will come up that we wouldn't talk about, you know, like what is being hinted at. I don't know if whether intentional or unintentionally, but we're in. We just got to two chapters, people, and there was like twenty-eight more to go, I think. <laughs> but we're having a good time. We're having a good time. I hope you enjoy our reading. Um, we did our best, and if you don't like what we're saying, I mean, like something is wrong with you if you don't like our excellent reading. But I implore you to, if there's any book you should get at to listen to um, the reading by Jim Dale, it's definitely book six, because by now he is firmly in his zone. He has every character's voice down pat. 
like you can almost hear them as individual beings in your mind. So even though it's the same man talking all the time. So um, enjoy it. So we should be back. Um, I don't think we're going to come back next week. I think we're going to have to full. You know, it's going to get us to a podcast in the week. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> of it. <laughs> I, I don't, he just blames everything on me. It's easy. You're from I, apparently. She's from far in Ohio. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, don't forget to comment in the sections below. And we are getting a very sizable reading fans. I know people are not necessarily commenting, which is odd, but they're definitely downloading and listening to us. And it's beyond the usual. They're not curious. They're definitely looking forward to us. I know a couple of people have been tweeting and whatnot, but we have the secret followers. And it's the if silent majority. <laughs> we don't use those terms. We don't use. Oh, those sorry. Because MAGA <laughs> people don't read. They don't read. I, Clearly, they don't read. Well, you know, no. you don't have to. Con- you don't have to comment. But it would be nice if you would rate review. Yeah. And also, and also, yes, rate and review. And we were definitely looking forward to you know because you might think we're crazy, but you know, we we are. Uh, um, we have the book to back us up. We think. You know. So. <laughs> All right. Good night. Um, good night, folks, and share us with your friends. Don't forget the Black Cauldron. Mischief managed. <laughs>